ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 2448. Do you have a catchy jingle for this? Like a intro? Like, do, 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 do. We do, actually. Hey, guys, I'm Sam. Welcome to the 2448. That's literally exactly what I do. Do, 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 do. Hell yeah. Jeremy, thank you so much for being here today on the 2448 podcast. I'm excited. This yes. is, uh, it's, I'm excited for you to be launching this. Well, it's the inaugural episode with a guest other than me, which it's I pretty think cool. is exciting. And yeah. I'm excited it's me. I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> well, thank you. We've had a lot of fun uh, learning about fire trucks from you and learning around the industry. And what I'm excited about today is hearing what makes National Fire Radio National Fire Radio and what makes Jeremy Jeremy. Yeah, that's frightening. Oh, my God. So can you kick it off? You know, for our audience that may not be familiar with what you do, I can't believe they would not be, you know, but we do have more TikTok followers than you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I get it. You guys, listen, you guys play the game very well, man. I'm taking notes from hey, your we, team. Are we you love the me? challenge. We love a challenge. Absolutely. So, listen, though, seriously, so what, what is National Fire Radio? Run me back. Just kind of give, give me the high level. What does it do today? National Fire Radio is capturing the essence of the American Fire Service. Culture and tradition is huge to me and that's what we're that's what we're built on right in the firehouse it's all about our experiences and storytelling right and so um for me i was always that guy in the firehouse that uh bridged the gap between young and old and and Mm. what i was starting to find was that guys were starting to get disgruntled and pissed off with the job and (laughs) because of that they were leaving and as they were leaving whether career or volunteer when i talk about the job just today and every day in my world I talk about the job. It's every single person that's a firefighter, yeah. whether it's volunteer or career. We're all doing the same job when it's time to go, right? So yeah. at the end of the day, I always talk about volunteer and career. So when I mention the job, it's the job. So Are you I, a fireman yourself? I am, yeah. So I've been a volunteer fireman for 27 years. I've had uh, multiple opportunities to go the career path. Yeah. Uh, I had a family business that just kept me on track with the family business. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I stayed. And it did very well for me and my upbringing. Uh, and then for me to have a family and be able to support them and, and do what I did. So I stayed the path of the family business while volunteering. Um, but I'm super passionate about the fire service. And yeah. so whether, uh, you know, so volunteer, yeah, 27 years, man. Uh, and that's I still, awesome. like I said to you right before we went live, like I just got a phone <laughs> call for a job yeah. that's going on and that they wanted to know awesome. if I can get over there in a coordinator position. And I'm like, man, I just, I'm in North Carolina. It's not yeah, sorry, 10 hour but I'm upset yeah. that I'm not there because I love going to fires. That's awesome. Love so it. how did National Fire Radio come out? Would that start in the fire stations or what yeah. was the story? Well, so to get back, right? So I was bridging that gap. Too many guys were leaving a job pissed off and disgruntled. Uh, and when they leave... They come in, everybody comes into the fire service uh, loving the fire service yeah. and learning to love it. If they're not familiar with it prior to getting hired or prior to coming in the volunteer doors, you know, they typically have this uh, aura of what it's going to do for them and mm. what they can do for it. And so usually everybody loves their path. But towards the end, people are getting um, dismayed with the job and they're getting yeah. disgruntled, whether it's uh, lack of communication, poor leadership, you know, the job's not what it used to be. There's a thousand variables, right? Yeah. But what I found was everybody's leaving, and they're leaving pissed off. And when they leave pissed off, they leave nothing behind. Mm. They, leave, they don't leave a legacy, right? Mm. Their legacy is they're leaving as, as disgruntled and pissed off. They're also taking all their stories and experiences with them. Mm. And that's a problem for me because I fuel on other people's storytelling. I fuel on other people's experiences because that's how we learn. Not only do we learn hands-on, mm. but I learned through every individual that has come through my door and every individual that I come across. Being here at Hi-Viz for the last two days with you guys, I've learned a thousand different things. <laughs> no, I'm serious, yeah. right? And that leaves an impact on me. Experience is really important to me. So I was watching all these stories and experiences 
leave. Yeah. And I'm like, man, we got to do something here, right? Now, I'm also a student of today and, and how we communicate today. And the American Fire Service steeped on tradition, well, print ad, right? Print yeah. journals, trade journals, fire engineering, firehouse, fire rescue, the list goes on and on of publications yeah. that as a kid, I read cover to cover four times a month and couldn't wait for the next month's episode to come. Yeah. Right? And so, and then it would come and I'd hoard the magazine, I'd read it, I'd study it, I'd learn every picture of every truck, who's, what department has what style apparatus, what department does this, the names that are teaching and giving those training nuggets in those articles. So like all of that was just passion that fueled me. Not going the career route mm. and being in a family business, uh, family business is difficult, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, but with that, how National Fire Radio came about was I kind of put it all together. I turned 40 years old. I looked at my wife, and I said, I'm tired. I'm tired of working at the family business and providing for everyone else, right? Mm. Like, when you're in a family business, man, you're constantly on, and you're constantly taking care of each other. Yeah. And I never took care of myself. And so at 40 years old, I said to Terry, I go, I love the fire service so much. It's too late to become a career fireman. I mean, I could move to a different part of the country yeah, yeah. and get hired and stuff, but, you know, massive pay. Like, I just couldn't do it. It's not, yeah. my, it's not my position today, right? So I said, I want to do something for the fire service. And I said, I think that there's a market here that I can really open up. Yeah. And so she literally just turned around and looked at me and said, don't go do it. And so at 40 years old, I started National Fire Radio. And, uh, and that was to do exactly what I just mentioned. Bridge the gap between young and old. That's really interesting. Share the stories, share the experiences, and teach. Yeah. Because for me, like, I'm not going to go out there and teach you how to force a door, cut a roof, stretch a line. Yeah. There's, there's guys with pedigrees that trump mine times 100. Yeah. But what I do very well is this. I yeah. converse. I tell stories. I like to listen to stories. I like to share experiences. I like to put people together. This morning, I literally put together, like, six different relationships <laughs> today because I'm that guy yeah, that when like somebody a has a question, connector. they're like, hey, man. Do you know so-and-so over there? I'm like, here's a contact home, yeah. you know me, man, and, and go. That's awesome. Like, I love that. That, for me, is the fulfillment at the end of the day. So National Fire Radio was built as a podcast to share, to capture the stories of tradition and culture and experiences yeah. of everyday guys up to the guys that have, you know, the top 1% pedigree guys that are the ones that are teaching on national stages. Yeah. So because it wasn't like... You know, when the way I got to know you guys was through your apparatus innovation stuff. So, it's like fire, right. tr I mean, fire truck videos sure, on social sure, media. Sure. So you guys actually are much broader than just Huge. fire trucks. So we're a, we're, we're a very wide-range platform, right? So it all started with the podcast. And we sat in the studio. We were having the guests come in, and it was fun, man. We were yeah. crushing beers, telling stories. <laughs> and it was just like sitting around a kitchen table telling yeah. stories, you know, or sitting at the bar. Was it immediately and, successful when you kicked it off? Or how I did mean, that how do, you, how do you measure success, man? Did like, people watch it? I'll tell you this. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you this. It was successful because I enjoyed it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so for what I, you were trying to get out of it, I mean, it was like, hey, I need to make sure I'm cataloging this or doing something. Yeah, man. Like, you know, so I, I realized that the, the methodology of delivery, the, the avenues of communication, what I wanted to do is grab these guys that have stories and experiences and put them on a platform that people are listening to. Yeah. Nobody's reading page 17 anymore. <laughs> they're flipping through. Yeah. Right? And then they're putting it on the back of the toilet. 30 days later, it goes out to recycling. Yeah. Right? So, like, I wanted to do this in perpetuity. I wanted to be able to record these conversations. Yeah. Get a couple nuggets out in an hour, hour and a half long series. Yeah. Right? And then share that. And yeah. then it's there forever. And not only that, for me, the, the big pickup for me 
also is the legacy that those people are willing to leave behind. Yeah. Right? A lot of guys in this job are very humble. They don't yeah. like to talk about themselves. <laughs> so it takes, yeah. and you're going to learn this with, with this podcast, like it takes sometimes, it takes time to coax stories out of people because they're too humble to talk about it. Yeah. What's right? your strategy? I mean, how do you kind of, how do you take someone, and we found it in, in, in our business, we go to a trade show, we're like, hey, you want to start our thing? And people are like, oh, I don't want to be on camera, I'm scared. Right. And it's like, dude, come on, you got an awesome story to tell, let's chat. How, what's your kind of strategy been? How do you get people involved? I think from, well, for, you know, I look at, uh, inv- I, I look at it this way. If anybody asks to be on my show, they'll never be on it. <laughs> Interesting. There's an agenda, mm. right? Like for me, I think that, I'm, I'm a good judge of character, and I vet our guests. Mm. But I interview anyone and everyone. Yeah. But when people are asking to be on it, they want to be on it for a reason, right? Yeah. And so with that, I, I, the caution flag gets thrown very quickly. Right? Yeah, because it's like, hey, what, why do you, why do you right. want to be on my show? What, what right, do you want right, to do with my right. audience that you can't do by yourself, right? So, so when I approach people, I'm like, hey, Sam, you want to be on the show? You want to be on the podcast? You know, um, What that comes down to is I've already – wanted to hear their story. Yeah. I know I know people that know them or I know them. Yeah. They have something to share. And then to bridge that gap between them, it's, listen, man, this is what it's all about. We're sharing these stories. It's just yeah. storytelling. You're telling these stories anyway. We could just tell them on a larger scale. Yeah. Right? You're, you're teaching and talking about that fire that happened 30 years ago and the lessons learned from that on the back step at 2 in the morning after another run you just came back from. Yeah. Talk about it on my platform. Yeah. Because we can share it to a broader audience. You can hit more people. And I promise you that you have a message that people want to hear. Yeah. That's what's important. It's an interesting point. I think, you know, I've, I've approached folks where I hear, like, I hear these stories. Like we had this, actually this guy up in New York, New Jersey, somewhere area. He was driving and you know, he pulls up and sees these taillights in the woods. And it's like, oh, it's a car. It's crashed. Oh, there's a guy pinned in the car. Oh, now the car's on fire. Oh, the dude busts the window out, grabs this yeah. guy, pulls him out, goes to work. Comes up. No big deal. I hear about this. I'm like, Jason, what the hell? Like, I got to hear this story. Tell me the story. And he's like, man, it was like, honestly, I was driving past. I had to stop and do my job. And I'm like. That is a story worthy of telling because if you want to recruit people into the industry, sure. you need to get them excited about those sorts of things because, you know, there's so much of – you don't do that, obviously, for the like for the glory or the fame. Obviously, that's not why you're in the industry. If you're no, in the industry. never. But people that are in the industry are the types of people that would be like, oh, no, of course I had to do that. That was the right thing to do, and then I had to go to work. And yeah. so it was just – it's interesting when I think about people. They just almost sometimes don't realize the gravity of the impact yeah, they have 100%. 100%. But that's where it takes uh, a dynamic – conversation somebody to lead that conversation and kind of bring those stories out of them yeah and then during it like what i like to do at the end like throughout my podcast is man all i do is like prop people up like in my life it's important for me that everybody around me to feel good yeah i'll take on the burden of feeling like shit i'll take on the (laughs) i will yeah i absolutely will and and i take on such a responsibility of making sure um that the experience is good yeah, that everybody is there and understands the value they bring. I'm a I'm a firm believer in value. Yeah, we have to give value to whoever. And I tell everyone that comes on our platform, everybody gets a uh, a Taylor's tin um, recognition uh, tin with their name on it. Oh, National cool. Fire Radio, right? And on the back of it, the first sentence I write on everybody's tin before I read something personal is "Thank you for trusting us with your story." Oh, that's cool. It's huge. That's really cool. It's so important because they are trusting us. This mm. is this not is to monetize third- the story like Bro. it's something. Like we're not going to try and just go take right. your fire service career and just make it like thirty years on the job. You're a, you're a badass guy in the firehouse, and you're a humble individual. I'm not looking to do anything other than to share your stories. Yeah. Thank you for, for serving trusting it. me. That's with really that. interesting. I think that's an interesting point. You know, a lot of guys get worried about like 
and even in, in, in our business, right? We make lights for fire trucks and we often like, Hey, can we, can we put, Oh yeah. I don't want to help you sell lights. I'm like, dude, that is not what we're doing. Right. I, I want to help, you know, do, you know, whatever the, you know, the story of the customer is, but I think your platform's an interesting space where you can really do that and preserve it because it's a firefighter trusting another firefighter to hold their, you know, like it's sometimes hard stuff to talk about. I mean, there's bad calls, bad calls are hard. Yeah. So when you have people that have experienced it, I think that's a unique platform where you can kind of have the integrity to know what to share and what not to. I'm sure you edit out a lot of stuff as well as you share it, you know? We do. Um, and we're very protective of what we put out. Um, and I say we, I should say, it's not just me by any means. I mean, this is this was my brainchild, my vision, but I had guys that trusted me very early on in the process that helped me with everything. Rob Ridley, Sebastian Rolo, those are two guys that just have stepped up from day one that wanted to be a part of this and they helped me. Let's dive into uh, that. How did those guys, like what's, how did they get involved in what you're doing? What were the early days like for your crew? Yeah, so when I, so to back up, when I, I mentioned to my wife, Terry, I said, I want to do this. She said, go do it. And then I'm like, holy crap, how am I going to do this? <laughs> right. Like I had I had not a clue about anything, but I was like, you know what? How difficult can it be? We can do this. I can figure this out. Right. So we did. And uh, and what I felt right away was if I'm going to do a podcast interviewing guys across the country, interviewing senior guys, if you will, and capturing their stories. I'm a volunteer fireman. And so I felt like I needed a career fireman to offset my volunteer side. Right. So if I'm going to interview a career fireman and he's going to talk about life in a firehouse, well, I don't live in my firehouse. Yeah. So I got to have somebody that can offset me in the conversation of like career firefighting versus volunteer. Just having the right so, sort of experiences and skill right. sets. And so Rob Ridley uh, is a career fireman. Now he's a career uh, lieutenant in his department. Uh, he was in a department that I used to volunteer in, which was a combination department. When I rode up there, it was like if I didn't want to go to the bar on Friday nights in college, I would go to the firehouse and we'd go to fires. That's awesome. So it was like, yeah, it was just a really cool <laughs> setup, sick. right? They were yeah. like, we were going to fires. I was living a college life. It was awesome. Rob wasn't there when I was there. He's younger than me. And so when I left and, and moved back home after college, Rob then got a career job there. And I would go back up, and I, I remained friends with all the career guys there. Um, I'm still friends with a lot of them. Most of them have retired now. But I used to go to baptisms and christenings and birthday parties and so on. And so every time I'd go, all the guys knew me. I didn't really know Rob, but every time I, I was there, Rob knew who I was because of reputation and just showing up all the time. And these guys yeah. always talked about. Just from the fire. Really, like, yeah, right. Yeah. And so he would always be the guy that like kind of found me or I'd find him and we'd end up like standing around the keg, like telling a story or, <laughs> That's awesome. or, and I'd stop at the firehouse and he was working. He'd always be the first guy to be like, Hey, you want a cup of coffee? And like, sit down and like, yeah, tell me about like the old days here. Like when you rode here, like, yeah. So we hit it off really well. So he was the, one of the first guys I thought of, right, on the career side to say, like, man, this guy could probably offset me. Yeah. And what does so, he do? Does he kind of like talk to your guests as well and help? Yeah, yeah. So the podcast around. is myself. And Rob on camera, typically with a guest. So it's like uh, back and right forth. Right on. Okay. Uh, we, uh, sometimes Tucker Daly hops in. He's another guy that uh, is a personality that comes in and out sometimes. Yeah. There's a couple other people too. And then Sebi, uh, Sebastian Rolo does all of our like tech on the back end. Was that something um, that was a big barrier when you started? Like, are you a tech guy? No, or was no, that I like- have no idea, man. I'm just a pretty <laughs> face. You know what I mean? Just a pretty face. Yeah. So I needed somebody. And Sebi was a volunteer in my firehouse. And uh, he was he disappeared for 30 days on a trip to California grew a beard and just ran cameras on his trip to get away from life for 30 days. No young kid. Way, yeah. And so he came back and he was showing us all his footage and photos and videos and stuff. And I was like, bro, I'm thinking about doing this. You want to hop in? He's like, yeah, man, I'll do it. Like no idea what this thing was going to turn <laughs> He's into. Just a kid at the time. Right. Yeah. So he was like my camera guy in the beginning and sound and editing and so on. And, um, and so he's just been instrumental in getting us to where we are today. Uh, now we have, uh, God, I have a cast of characters that help us on big projects like yeah. uh, conferences and 
so on Chris Konash, Jeremy Hurst, uh, you know, and so on. The list goes on and on. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, there it's just uh, pretty cool to be able to surround yourself with really smart and great people. And so for me, they all trust in me. Yeah. Right? So we're like four. That's got to be a lot of weight on your shoulders. Like you now assembled this motley crew. And now you're like, shit, I got to spearhead kind yeah. of what we're doing. Yeah. And, and not only that, but like, here's the thing. Like at the end of the day, we do. So uh, we'll get into that too. I'm just trying to think how I want to frame this. So, you know, they put a lot of trust in me because what I couldn't give them anything. Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a product. I'm not, I'm not selling lights. I'm not selling yeah. products. So the revenue stream comes in basically on building a new platform in the American fire service that didn't exist before. Yeah. And we were, I'd like to think we, there were a lot of podcasts out there. I'd like to think that we were maybe one of the pioneers in the process Yeah. because a lot popped up after we started green lighting the fact that it's okay to talk about the job. That's interesting. I, yeah. I think for a long time, people were afraid to do what we did. Yeah. And so and tell for the stories. me, yeah. And I'll tell you, man, it took, um, it took a big set for myself to just put myself out there <laughs> And yeah. I'll tell you why, man. I'm, I'm a pretty charismatic guy, pretty big personality, walk in a room. I get the room real quick. I can read a room. I can read people. I'm a salesman by trade. Yeah. So I'm very good at like dealing with people and talking to people. Fire service is a unique animal, <laughs> That's right? For sure, yeah. And there is a lot of snake oil, and there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. And so for us to validate what we were doing and for people to trust us with their stories, mm. we had to be 100% authentic 100% of the time. Interesting. Yeah. I can't put myself out there in content and not own it. So you got to tell the good and the bad, but own either way that you're telling it. 100%. Interesting. Right? And also, I can't bullshit. There's, there's, no, there's no fluff here. I am who I am. <laughs> I'm a volunteer fireman. I don't go to, uh, you know, 150 fires a year, right? Yeah. I go to maybe 20 fires a year, you know, throughout my, my year. And I go to some good fires and we go to some BS fires. And I yeah. go to 700 other fire calls in my town. Like, I am yeah. who I am, but my passion can't be challenged yeah and so that has to come through and so when our guests trust our decision making when our yeah. guests trust us with their stories when my staff my guys trust me because they believe in my vision of what we're building mm. that's all they have in me have people ever brought you stuff that you're like listen guys like i my 100%. crew i trust my crew i trust our market i can't tell that story because that's Horseshit, or it's not valid. Like, have you ever had things where it's like all this the time. crosses a barrier? All the time. What, tell me about it. What happens? So a lot of so okay. So you know us through apparatus content. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So the podcast was was what got us started, and then from there, I was like at my firehouse one night. I'm a big truck nerd, <laughs> and I'm looking at one of my engines, and I go, you know, we designed a couple things on this engine that like I've never seen anywhere else in the industry. Mm. And so I was like, man, let me, I'm going to stop some pictures, just put it up on our page. Like, oh yeah. So just like you know. happenstance. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, and then I'm like, you know what? Let me talk about it. Cause nobody's going to understand why we put that handle there. Nobody's going to understand why we put that light there. So, so let telling me the story it. of that, yeah. why that spec committee did that hundred percent. Yeah. So I did that, put those videos up, bang off to the races. And I go, the light bulb goes off and I go, wait a minute, there's nobody sharing. And this is what I talk about all the time. There's nobody sharing tips, tricks, and hacks of how we do it. Because how you do it in Hendersonville, North Carolina, where I'm sitting today or outside of it, right? Yeah. To Asheville, North Carolina, to Iowa, to California, to Alaska, to New Jersey, everybody does it a little bit different. Yeah. There's no platform that shares how we all do it. We're all brothers. We're all the same family. So why aren't we talking and sharing and making each other better? So the apparatus innovation content came from that. Let's educate 
the consumer. Let's educate the American firefighter about building apparatus. And maybe the way I just did it in New Jersey would benefit you, but you've never seen it before. You don't know about it. Mm. And this goes for the manufacturers, too. Most manufacturers have no idea what they're doing in their own company, <laughs> let alone what the competition <laughs> builds. Yeah. Right? Because fire apparatus inherently are custom. Yeah. The majority of them, right? Yeah. And so custom fire apparatus means you're designing and building whatever you want. And so you're building it for how Sam wants it built for his fire department, how you operate, your hose load, your tank size, your this, your that. Yeah. So why not share that? So our platform shares that. And that's how that kind of content started rolling into it. Then from there, it was off to the races. I was like, wait a minute. We're starting. We're really opening up a new lane of what we can do for the fire service. And so yeah. now... You know, the apparatus innovations, the podcast, those are two things of 8,000 things that we now have permissions to be a part of. Yeah. And so we do so much more than that. How do you balance, like, when someone brings you something that's, like, an apparatus innovation is not very innovative and not very uh, useful, and you're like, okay, I want to tell the story of this fire department, but I don't want to tell these guys they got an ugly baby. How do you balance that personally? It's, it's hard. So uh, there are, I'm very protective of the content. I will never put out a piece of content that paints anyone in a negative light. Mm. So myself, just being entrenched in, in looking at hundreds of photos a day or video content a day, I'm very conscious of what I think is going to hit, what's going to do very well, what's yeah. going to be controversial, what's no good. Yeah. And the no bueno stuff, I won't put out. The yeah. controversial stuff I'll put out and I'll never say where I got it from or what department it's from. Oh, interesting. Because oh, I don't so want to cast... enough, you can't tell. I don't want to cast a negative light on that department because, again, you know, these guys... Either they entrust me to take photos of their truck and to share it. Mm. They invite some departments invite me in, right, for mm. departmental visits to see what they do. Yeah. Other people just DM me photos and videos, right? So I have to weed through all that content. But the one thing I'll never do is I don't want some chief, I don't care, volunteer career, going online and seeing a picture of one of his trucks with his name plastered all over it, and they did something on it that it just gets chewed apart. They didn't ask for that attention. Yeah, And so that's not fair for me to yeah, bring that. Fair. So I have yeah. to be very protective of sources and how we put our content out there. Um, it's not that I'm hiding it, yeah. but there are some things that I just don't think need the attention. Um, it's kind of like hate pages within the fire service, like on social media. Like I have no <laughs> yeah. patience or tolerance for that because it paints the job in a negative light. Yeah, and versus so, like, hey, these people are trying to do their best. That's right. And the, okay, fine. Maybe they made a mistake. Right. I've made a mistake, but yep. fine. We can always learn from it and move forward. And there's also on. something very different about rural Kentucky <laughs> yeah. versus like New York City. Yeah. And you can't. And when people on social media, there's no. It's it's you know it's either yes or no. There's no in between conversation. Nobody's allowed to talk anymore. And so yeah. I have to be very protective about how we put content out because it has to represent the best yeah. of them or the fire service. And so we have to be protective of that. That's cool. Well, so I have a little bit of a unique insight into your history just from kind of pre-interview Talk stuff on, uh, you know, on this, on this work you do, that's not the fire service yeah. when you're like in this other role, which full-time job role, you know, it's bearings and power, is it power train, power, train power transmission. So yeah, what the I, hell is that? Right? Yeah. Well, I got two questions. One is when I think about that, I think, okay, so is is that mechanic? Because it's got to be mechanical and engineer. Like, does that is that what fuels your fire service? And like, what the hell is that? Can you can you talk a little about like when you're not in the NFR role? What are you doing in the other roles? Yeah. So outside of the firehouse volunteering, uh, I talked about you know not going into the career industry. Yeah. Because of the family business, the family business was de uh, developed in 1980. 
um, and created by my father. And uh, it has a long history in the industry, but it is. It's like ball bearings and power transmission equipment. Belts. Some good jokes. Yeah, well, so it's, it's funny. I talk about it all the time. It's like you go to a cocktail party and you like meet somebody. They're like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a ball bearing salesman. It's a freaking punchline, man. <laughs> yeah, you know I what I mean? Are. They're like, what? Yeah. What? You sound like, yeah, actually I do. So, um, so it's very mechanically inclined. It's, uh, yeah. it's anything that moves, right? So any type of machinery that moves has our product in it. Interesting. And so, uh, you know, belts, chains, sprockets, pulleys, couplings, motors, pumps, and the list goes on and on. No way. Right? So I'm in. So, so I grew up in this business from eight years old. I was working there in the summers. I held every job in that company. That's the company cool. name was Tri-State Bearing. We were based out of New Jersey. And, uh, and it was cool, man. It was a lot of fun. And I grew up in that business. And it gave me a good upbringing as a kid. Yeah. And staying in that business provided me... Uh, a lifestyle that I could provide to my wife and kids. And so we stayed, I stayed with it. So I started as a stock boy at eight years old, working <laughs> a counter at 16, delivery driver at 17, uh, operations by X amount of age. The only thing I didn't do were the boring jobs, like accounting <laughs> and like yeah. the computer stuff. Like yeah. I want nothing to do with that. And then uh, we sold our business uh, to a company called Eastern Industrial Automation. We sold our business three years ago. So my father had an exit, oh, and, cool. uh, which was nice. And, uh, and now I work for that company. Uh, and uh, when we sold the business, I was uh, the operations boss. I was running the day-to-day. That's really business, cool. So. What did you learn growing? I mean, like, I feel like eight years old in the shop. Like, you must, I don't know if it's work ethic or grit. Like, what did you learn as a kid growing up with a family business, working hard in that type of space? All of it. All of it. Everything you just said and 10 times more. Right? For me, like, I think that's what really shaped me as the individual I am. I'm, I'm very much like you. I'm a tinkerer. I like to get my hands dirty. I'm a technical salesman. So I go out in the field now. Mm. My job now is I go out in the field. I design uh, different projects. I mean, I'm in, you know, what's really cool is my day, I never know where I'm going. So it could be a wastewater plant. It could be the uh, underground tunnels under the Hudson River by the Lincoln Tunnel. Oh, cool. It could be the roof of Madison Square Garden. Uh, I go to quarries, manufacturing, corrugated box companies, perfume, bottling, food and package, food and anything. beverage, anything. All the industrial underbelly of the world. Anything. Because think about it. Like any consumer packaged good gets processed somewhere along the line. So uh, conveyor lines, packaging lines, um, you know, uh, any anything. So that's what I am. So any type of infrastructure, I live in the belly of buildings. That's so, so I see, yeah, it's wild, man. Where do firefighters spend a lot of their time? Exactly. I mean, it's a really interesting. When I was hearing this kind of research yeah. talk we put together. It's so interesting to hear how there are similarities. And there. the thing is, too, is like for me, uh, being very mechanically inclined and, and understanding and doing engineer uh, surveying and things like that for determining products and what you need, right? I mean, there's all of that, but I think it goes hand in hand with being a firefighter in the fact that firefighting is, I think, 90% common sense. Yeah. Right? It's educating yourself and then looking for those signs. It becomes common sense. It becomes that sixth sense that you have that tells you to be in that position at the right time or don't be in that position right now. Or, <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or looking at something and before somebody has to tell you to do it, you're already doing it because you see the you know choreography yeah. of the event, right? Interesting. So, so I'm very much the same way. And that's how my brain works. Like I look at this and I go, okay, we're here, but I'm, my brain's already here. I'm three steps ahead already because that's how I was – built, designed, taught like yeah. how to operate. And that's what I do. I operate. I'm an operator. When you were a kid looking out at life in the world, like, okay, so today my family runs this business, I'm doing everything I can help do whatever. 
how did you make the transition? Did you always know you were going to be a fireman as well? Or yeah. was that, I mean, where'd that? Yeah, my, so my father was a fireman. He oh, still really? Is, still is. In the volunteer <laughs> house. He's going to be awesome. 80 this year. And he's still, uh, he's still kick-ass, man. He's, he's like so one cool. of the coolest dudes I know. My two brothers are firemen. And then I'm the youngest of three boys. So it was like inevitable that I was going to be on, you know, uh, become a fireman. But I was that kid at eight years old wearing turnout gear on a 95-degree day using the lawn, the garden hose in the backyard spraying down the yard. No way. Yeah. <laughs> so I used to play in my dirt. I would play with car. I was a big matchbox and Lego kid, yeah. right? And I would build my own stuff. I'd smash cars up and, you know, and, like, respond to accidents with. Like, <laughs> I did. I was just me. And, and it was like – it was as much as the I, – I looked at how I – I, I've thought a lot about this over the years, right? And and I look back at that, and I look at, like, when I was building my Legos, I would build, like, a whole Lego city, right, on sheets of plywood. And I would yeah. have these, you know, subways and buildings and all this stuff, right? But it was always about me. It was always going to fire. Like, I built a city to go to fires. fires. Yeah. And, and I – and. Even positioning then was important to me. Like first do engine pulls past, <laughs> no truck gets the That's address, awesome. second do engines, water supply. Like at thirteen years old, that those were things I knew already. And it was just in me. How and did you learn those things? Did your dad teach you? Or was this from the firehouse? I mean, where did that come from? All of it. My father, um, it's funny, my father is an amazing man, but he worked. When you own your own business, as you know, yeah. Uh, he worked so much. And I and it's funny because I just had this conversation with my wife the other day, Terry. We were talking about a couple of things. The National Fire Radio is really scaling now and things are happening. So I'm looking at the longevity of this and thinking like, man, my time is really going to be needed more and more and more. This isn't yeah. just a hobby. Yeah, because you've seen it. You've seen project. your dad go 100%. through a business and, and right. managing fire service and stuff. And then know? running the family business, my hours were much longer. Now I work for somebody. So my hours weren't what they used to be, right? And, yeah. and I don't have that commitment as much as I'm not working 70 hours a week anymore. I'm working 40, 50 hours a week, right? Like a yeah. regular work week for most people. <laughs> So my wife and kids are enjoying that. But, you know, we were talking about it the other day. And I said, you know, when I grew up, I never saw my father. Yeah. He worked. Yeah. Like, he, I'm so prevalent in my, in my kids' lives because that's important to me. Yeah. And it's not that it wasn't important to my father. But he, he knew he had to be there 12, 14 hours a day to give us the lifestyle that he gave us. He sacrificed for us. Yeah. And so growing up as a kid, yeah, he came to, like, my soccer games or lacrosse games or oh, yeah. swim meets or whatever I was involved with. I can just picture you swimming. I look fantastic in a speedo. <laughs> well, we can we can get that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but my point is, is he sacrificed for us. But I never saw him growing up. Today we find this work life balance where we're like, oh, how do you find balance? How do you find time? Yeah. Well, guess what? Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you got to work your ass off. Sometimes you got to put in 12, 14 hour days, and you don't get to see your kids at sunup and sundown. Yeah. Like it just doesn't happen. Mm. And I don't think we should vilify that either. Yeah. I don't think. I think today we worry so much about that. You know. Oh my God. Like I, you know, you work so much. Well, maybe I need to work so much. Yeah. Maybe it's providing the lifestyle I want to give my wife and kids. Maybe I'm sacrificing for them. Maybe I need it personally as yeah. my drive and push and desire, which I think probably falls in your wheelhouse a little oh, yeah. bit, right? Oh, yeah. It's that personal fulfillment and so on. So I said to my wife, I said, Tara, I said, if I do this, there's going to be more time away from the family. There's going to be a lot yeah. more travel. There's going to be this. As you were starting NFR. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had to make that commitment to it, and she agreed to it, and she said, I understand it. And, uh, and so on. So you have to, is there a balance? Sure. But it's everybody's balance is a little bit different. How, how did your dad balance? Like when you were kids, I mean, I feel like if he's running this business, working 14 hour days, I do it here at work. I'm not yep, here at yep. 530 in the morning. Yep. And when the alarm goes off, I yep. mean, was he like, hey yep. guys, I got to run. Yep. 
How, I mean, t- tell me a little bit about that when you, when you were younger. It was cool, man. Like, we were the kids in town that, like, when the fire whistle blew, because we still had, like, Oh, you siren. still had, like, yeah. oh, yeah. Right? I mean, when, you know, when my father, like, in the 80s, I'm a, I was born in 77. I'm 45 years old. So in the 80s, man, we would chase the fire trucks on our bicycles. You know that what I mean? Awesome. Like, yeah. oh, they got a fire call. There was only a Plectron at home. The hell so is a plectron? Like that's the, like the home receiver box that goes off when they dispatch it. And it's so like, it's like an eh. early pager. Yeah, but it's at home. So you hear the address and you're like, get on your bike, let's go. And we like no pedal way. after the trucks. Yeah, <laughs> we used to get in trouble. Like the chief used to yell at us. We're like, go home, you know. Like That's funny. But we just, that's what we knew, Yeah, you know. My father, he worked very hard. And so the firehouse, he didn't share the firehouse as much as I share the firehouse with my family. Really? We went for functions and picnics and things like that, but like when it was firehouse night, it was firehouse night. Like training night, he didn't bring us. Oh, really? Yeah, like there was none Why? of that because it was he was there to work, he was there to do a job, he was there. So there was a little bit of separation there. But, so it wasn't so much we, like the boys' club, like hey, let's all bring everyone and hang out. It was like nope, this is the service I got to provide. I'm w- doing that. It service. was that. It was probably some boys' club stuff too. Yeah, I mean, back enough. then it was you know. Boys could be boys, and and you know it was you know they weren't running a thousand calls a year and stuff, so it was much more of a boys' club, if you will. Yeah. So it was protecting probably that little piece of sanctity, but yeah. But overall, like as a kid looking up to my father and seeing how hard he worked, and then he went off to the firehouse and he'd come home and have to shower because he smelled like soot. Like, man, as a little kid, that you want to talk about like making an impression on me? Like I was like, this guy is invincible. Yeah. And I remember I'll give you I'll give you two <laughs> quick cool. stories because my father's like my hero. He he means the world to me, um, and he always will. He's just such a wonderful gentleman. He's gentle and kind and generous. But he's a badass, you know. So and cool. uh, and I'll tell you, I'll share two stories. We lived uh, when I was growing up. We moved in third grade. So prior to third grade, there was a plane crash in the center of town, like a, a Cessna, like a little oh, plane, wow. like yeah. crashed on the main road. And that was like a bit. We're sitting there at dinner, and the plectron goes off in the kitchen. And it's like a plane crash on Franklin yes. Avenue, and you're like, "What?" <laughs> my father jumps up, races off to the firehouse, and we're like, "My mom's like, we're gonna go watch this one." <laughs> it was like two blocks away, so we like walked Classic, out, yeah. and it was like an airplane just sitting in the middle of the road, like wing down, and the guy's just sitting there. No, he way. was fine. Yeah, yeah it, lucky. Yeah, it was one of those things. So, but I remember like the guys racing down, riding on the tailboard. They had these beautiful Seagrave engines and they would like pull up and they were just such kick ass dudes, you know? And that left such an impression with me. And then I'll never forget too, probably soon after because we moved. So it was pretty early on. There was a fire at the at the building supply, which was like the lumber yard. Oh no, yeah. That was close by us too because we live closer to like the downtown area. And I remember we walked up to watch that fire, and it was like this three-story tower, and there was fire blown out all sides of it on the third floor. And I remember watching my father like walk along the roof line and just disappear like into a window. And I was like, holy shit. (laughs) I'm like, that's my hero, man. Like that that dude. Like so cool. And I I, so he (laughs) means he means the world to me, but those are such such like powerful and influential things that that just shaped who I am and my passion I have for the fire service. And then obviously because of that, because of buffing calls on my bicycle and playing in the, in the, in the yard and doing all those things that were always firefighter driven. It was like uh, when it was time, but when the magazines would come in, I hoarded them. No way. I read every magazine. Way before you were a firefighter. Oh, yeah. Just as a kid, yeah. Like, like, you know. Literally 13, 14 years old, if not younger, I was like thumbing through them, cutting pages out. No like, way. I, oh, my God. I love that. I couldn't get enough of it. So you knew for sure the second I can volunteer at this local yeah. fire hall, I'm in. Yeah. Give me whatever I got. 
how did that start? What was your, what was your application process? Like, well, it was, it was easy, right? Cause I had a father, two brothers in it already. I knew, I knew every guy there. Yeah. Uh, you know, we didn't have like a junior department, so I joined at 18. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then the month so you later. Had to wait, like, just... And then the month later, they started the junior academy at 16. So I got like totally screwed <laughs> on that. Right. Um, but I came in at 18 years old and it was just, uh, it was the best thing ever, man. How was, did your training go? I mean, this is, how many years ago is this? Probably 20? Uh, 1994, 95. Yeah. A long time ago. So. Yeah. What was training like back then that's changed? I mean, yeah, it was, today we're on the iPhones, but I mean, it wouldn't have been like that then. Yeah, no, it was, this was go to the academy two nights for, I don't know, four months or something, and then your annual refresher classes, things like that. But brother, I lived at the firehouse, like at 18 years old, like I lived there. I loved it, couldn't get enough of it. We would race there. We'd get, we'd try to get the engine out. So 100% volunteer, nobody was ever in the building. So when that whistle blew, pagers went off. Like, it was our goal to get the engine on the road before the siren stopped winding down. So, I mean, it was – listen, man, it was, it was you know, the movie Cannibal Run. I don't know if you've ever seen Cannibal Run where they race across the country and guys are, like, cruising all over. That was us, man. All these young kids trying to get to the firehouse <laughs> and, like, sick. fist fighting to get on the first do rig or, yeah. or pushing guys off the rig to go mutual aid to yeah. a confirmed job. Like, <laughs> that's what it was about. But, brother, man, did that instill such incredible values in all of us. Did you have good mentors at the fire station that you would get yeah, that, would. like – yeah, you know, it, yes. And, um, you know, it's funny. People ask me about mentorship. Chelsea asked me about it, right, when we were, like, pre-gaming for this conversation. Yeah. I don't know if I have, per se, a mentor that um, I could, like, put on a pedestal and say, like, this guy is the guy, mm. right? I will say, obviously, my father, I've spoken about him now, but, you know, he is super important to me. And I think if anybody was influential to me, it was him uh, giving me – uh, and access to his life, his work ethic, his uh, his drive, his desire, his his love for family. Like, those are all things that are really important to me. Yeah. Um, so I would say my father was a big mentor for me. In the firehouse, there were older guys that were like my dad's buddies that I respect. And I still call them Mr. Oh, yeah. So-and-so, you know, now. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it's like I'm 45 years old. And I'm an ex-chief of this fire department, but I still call these older guys like Mr. Smith, Mr. Jones. Like, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Because there's just that inherent respect I had from when I was young. And yeah, so of course. I still do that. Um, did yeah. you learn some of your storytelling or your interview? Not even interviewing, but like, did you ask and pull? Like, like what you do today on your podcast? Was so, that So that's 100% of why I got started, right? I was always that guy bridging that gap. What I found when I came up was I always liked to sit on the front bumper or around the bar. We had a bar in a firehouse back then. <laughs> Very you know? New Jersey. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and we would sit there, and I would just listen to the stories. Yeah. These guys would tell stories, and obviously they were all embellished, but, man, they were so good. <laughs> you know, and it's Fire like... Was 12 stories tall. These the guys, was only yeah, a, they're made gamble. out of iron. Like, <laughs> these guys are steel, you know? Yeah. Um, it was fun, and I always enjoyed the storytelling, and then I would retell their stories. Like, as I started coming up and getting older, these guys started taking a backseat to the active life. I would then be like, do you know that, like, Mr. Smith, you ever hear that story? Let me tell you his story, right? Yeah. Like, and then I'd start to have some of my own stories, and... What I found very quickly was as I and I as I started mature I don't know if I matured but <laughs> as I started Taller. maturing through the fire service in my firehouse, uh, I become one of the senior guys now in my firehouse, and I find that I'm still very young to the point that I can relate very much with the 18 year old kids. Yeah, and I can relate with the 99 year old guys that so still you're come like to a like 100. Like 
And so what I do now is I bridge that gap. Interesting. I take that young kid and make him sit next to the old guy, and I go, you shut up and listen to him. He's got a story to tell, and you can't be buried in your phone. Put your phone down. Yeah. Put the, put the, get away from the group of guys that you talk to 24 hours a day and go sit with these other guys. Yeah. They have something to share. And we do that very well in our department. Unfortunately, we're losing a lot of those older guys to either moving or, or passing away. Things oh, like yeah. that. And our department's not like every volunteer department. They struggle, and we're struggling for manpower. So yeah. we're asking more of our guys now. So as our numbers drop in, in, in membership, we're asking more of them. Yeah, so and those so, stories are important, to, and not just to recruit, but I mean, even 100%. just to be like, hey, people are coming in. I don't have the old guys to tell you right. the stories. And so that was me. And so I was finding I could I, – I was bridging the gap between young and old, and I, I thought I did that very well, and I enjoyed hearing the young stories to the old stories mm. and then telling that story. And so that's kind of why I thought I could do what I did with National Fire Radio and start that podcast was yeah. if I could do this locally in my own fire department. You man, could replicate I could, that. I could replicate that times yeah. a thousand. That's interesting. I'm curious, you know, when you think about the stories, there's got to be some that are just like, did you remember? Like, are there any that were like, oh, man, old Johnny used to do whatever. I mean, was, was there anything that stood out to I, you? I love telling, uh, I love fire stories, right? Like, you know, we always had fun. Like, you know, back then when you were growing up at a firehouse, you'd go to parades and wet downs and things yeah. like that, you know, and, and it was always fun. But what always gets replicated, the stories that we always tell are like certain fire stories where it's like, man, that fire kicked our ass. Or like, yeah. you remember that job, you know, mutual aid job? And then, you know, we were ordered out of the building. And as you guys <laughs> going down the stairs, I like me, I was like, guys, don't leave. Like, we're going to go hang out in this bedroom down the hallway that's not burned up. We'll close the door. We'll go off air for a few minutes. When the, when command gets their ass in gear again and, and puts, you Since know, a crew back yeah. When yeah. they figure it back out, we're already up there working again. I'm like, we don't need to go outside. I go, it's not my fault. I command lost span of control here yeah they threw too many people in the building i go we got work to do so let's <laughs> hang out in here right i mean those those are the fun stories cool. that we tell and then like the young kids they look at you and they go what you you did that and i go yeah like fuck it man yeah you know what i mean like <laughs> hey, we're gonna absolutely do you know funny. we and and the fun the fun thing for me too is like we i like going to fires a lot because i always talk our way in yeah so, like, I'm like the politician of the crew. So even if I'm not, like, the, the, the boss on the truck, if I'm not the lieutenant the captain, I'm just a senior guy now. Like, I don't – I typically chauffeur on the bullshit runs, and if it's a fire, I find myself somehow getting in the backseat yeah, on the nozzle, right? Yeah, I falling in on the Yeah, 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 right. Like, oh, I'm not driving for this one, guys, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, but the fun thing with that is, like, we go mutual aid, right? We do a lot of, like, second alarm work around oh, us and yeah. so on. And we get there, like there's politics. You don't be I'm sitting not, and staging all day. I'm not. I, you, don't call me here to come watch. Yeah, like I want to go to work. I don't get to go to that many fires. Thoroughbreds don't so like I, to uh, stay yeah. in the stables. So they like I, to run. I find myself getting up to the command staff and being like, "Hey, did you guys? Did you do primaries on the second yet? You got uh, ladders thrown in the rear. You got secondary searches underway yet? Fires knocked. Like, what are we doing?" And before you know it, myself and my guys are yeah, we're going to work. Go. We're walking right past mutual aid companies going to work. And I'm like <laughs> And they're giving you assignments. And I don't give a shit because yeah. so many people go to fires today and they don't want to work. Yeah. I don't understand this. Yeah. Well, you know I, what I hear though in that story, it's funny. So that's still following the process that like it's like, hey, there there is a best practice of get command to give me an assignment. It's not, hey, go freelance it. It's no, 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 no. Command needs to tell me to do it, but I'm going to go tell command what I can do. And they give it to you and you go do it. And it's like that's the initiative to go find the area to go run. I think that's really cool. 100%. And not only that, but listen, I want to give my guys an experience. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like I got younger kids with me. They don't want to learn that second and third alarm work is just going there and standing outside. And then it's like, okay, we're going to pack hose. Yeah, that's I'm like, get the hell out of here. Like, I want to get them inside. Let's get them dirty. Let's get them, let's show them some fire behavior. Let's show them how it burns up. Let's start hooking some ceilings, you know? Let's start showing them the tasks that need to be done because the majority of fire grounds that I go to, there's plenty of work to be had. Yeah. But you got to know where to find the work. Yeah. And that gets lost. And I think that comes through, you know, inexperienced command staff. You know, what I don't understand is, like, fire's knocked down. All of a sudden, everybody stands around and looks at their work. And I'm like, no, no, we still got, like, an hour of work to do here. <laughs> yeah, we got to empty the room, thing. pull yeah. the ceilings, pull the walls. Like, you know, let's get secondary searches underway to make sure that we didn't miss anything on the primary. Like, all these, all these tasks that have to be done. Are those stories and, you like to tell? So then people hear it and they're like, oh, yeah, the of course, that's an I can't wait for people to hear this podcast. <laughs> yeah. You know how many people I'm going to ruffle with this? Yeah, they'll be like, right oh, now? shit, I guess next time I'm staying at a fire, I'll think of Jeremy. <laughs> Maybe I should go. Go ahead and pull something, whatever, you know? But what it's... <laughs> We talked about initiative. You have it or you don't. Yeah. It's very hard to teach people to take initiative. Yeah. We can educate people about the process. We can educate people about what to look for. We can teach people technique and strategy. Yeah. But that inherent inside initiative push Mm. that, like I talked about before, we're here, but I'm already three steps ahead. Like I'm looking at, okay, fire gets knocked here. We got to be on the floor above or we need to be on the roof. We need to, like, you got to... You got to be able to have that. I think it's difficult for people that don't have that to learn. I don't know if you can learn that trait. It's like yeah. inherent. It's either in you or you don't. It's like being mechanically inclined or you're not. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's true. And you're kind of going to lead into your strengths. Like if you have those gifts, then put the fuel to them and let's go. You and know? the other thing too is we got to instill values into our guys on the line to believe in themselves and their decision making. Yeah. I hate wishy-washy shit. I'd oh, do this. Oh, don't do that. Oh, now let's go back Sam, outside. There's there so many times, especially like in my work life, people are like, you're a bully. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm a bully? Yeah. I'm like, no, I have conviction. Yeah. Don't mistake the two. Yeah. Right? Like, I believe in what I'm telling you, and it's my way unless you can show me that your way is better. But I, I have strong conviction. I'll listen to anyone. You have yeah. an idea. Pitch me, man. Let's do this. Yeah. And if your idea is great, brother, I'm your biggest fan. I'm, I'm behind you 100%. Push you to do yeah. better. Yeah. But if you can't if you can't do that, you can't articulate your point of view, you can't put together and show me your conviction on a project, then it's going to be my way. Yeah. Because I just believe in that. Yeah. And I don't think that's being a bully. I think that's just believing in yourself and having conviction and and so on. I don't, I don't know your take on it, but I... <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I'm curious. So it's, it's funny. So I feel like there's fire service. I, I remember every day at the fire academy that I went through, like I got, I was, I was on time, but Early is on time, on time is late, and late is not acceptable. And I was reminded very abruptly to stand in the parking lot until lunchtime because I was on time, but on time was late. And so I remember lessons like that where then in, at work, I, I get here early. I mean, like, you know, I'm not on time to every single meeting, so I got to be uh, you know honest here too. But generally speaking, there are lessons that I learned over and over sure. and over and over again in the fire service that I now repeat and build into my everyday career at work. And it sounds like, you know, being decisive in the fire service means that it's between life and death. And so when you're in the business world, Having the ability to say, this is what we're going to do. Unless you got a better option, this is what we're doing, because we have to do something. It's like, oh, shit. Well, that moves your business forward. And I think it's such a unique kind of way of talking about it. Does that make you a bully? No. But if everyone's staying there looking at the walls, you have to move. Because the biggest thing that's going to kill a business is complacency. Same thing that kills firefighters is complacency. So you I, cannot be complacent. I hate spinning my wheels. Oh, yeah. You know, and you can course correct. It's like a fire. Okay, you make a decision. Go, pull. oh, shit, well, that wasn't a great decision. Great, course correct, make another decision. Course correct, make another decision. What's we got to get the incident What's control. the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over without having a different result, right? Like, yeah. It's, ins- it's crazy, right? Yeah. So for me, it's like we do have to move forward, and we yeah. can't spin our wheels. And on the <laughs> fire ground, it's a dynamic and ever-changing 
um, you know, situation that we're presenting. So with. is business. It's, it's literally there's so many parallels. parallels. Business changes long. every day. The fire ground changes. And it's always it's not a moving target, but it's a changing target. So yeah. yeah. So I'm curious. So one more thing I want to go back to. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really I'm picturing like in my head. I'm like picturing your dad. I met the guy like sitting in the office, like doing the business stuff. I'm picturing you at the parts counter, and, like with bearings everywhere or something, just painting this thing in my head. Now fire alarm goes off. Did you guys ever run calls together? Oh yeah, all the time. We still do. Do you? Oh, do oh yeah. You really? Yeah. I mean, there there are times that my father's wheeling the first new ladder truck out of his station, no, and right. I'm at a different station, and I'm driving the engine. So like. You know, I'll box him out. He boxes me out. Like, there's a little bit of competition there for sure. How did you How did you manage the impact of both of y'all peeling out of that office, balls to the wall, going to the fire? So we team? never. So our office was not local. Good. Oh, really? So yeah, it was <laughs> the only time we left work was if it was a confirmed job because like the office was like 20, 20 minutes away. Oh, interesting. So okay. We, the only time uh, we would leave is if it was a confirmed job, and typically during the daytime, and where manpower is a little bit lighter. So we would race back to town. <laughs> and get on like the fifth dude to get there and yeah. you know so on but um we have and and listen like I, there's you have to draw a line like i respect my father and love him to death but there's shit yeah. he does that drives me bananas yeah you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. and and vice versa obviously i'm his kid like there's yeah. things that i do that he just shakes his head at me and looks at me like what are you doing yeah so as adults in the firehouse we've had disagreements <laughs> I bet in the firehouse. Oh yeah. Now take it to work. Oh my god. We've had god. huge yeah. disagreements. Add two brothers into the mix. Oh yeah. I'm the youngest of three boys and I was in charge. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet the brothers loved that. No. <laughs> no. Surprised. Yeah. No. It That's was funny. it was a very dynamic situation and it taught me early on how to deal with family, how to deal with people, how mm. to I, you I it's so important for people to feel good. Mm about themselves yeah and i think today with especially with me having like younger kids like my youngest just turned 14 graduated eighth grade she's going into high school like i think that one of the most important things we have to do is instill uh pride into people like i want my daughters to believe in themselves mm. to have conviction because when they believe in themselves they then typically will not put themselves in a situation of vulnerability yeah right we have to do that with Everyone in the firehouse, we have to do that with the probie. Yeah, we in the in middle management in the firehouse, we have to let our line officers make mistakes, but believe in them and support them, even if they make a mistake. But let them know that maybe they should have made a different decision. It's all about how you carry on the conversation. But we sure. have to instill people like myself and you, right, mm. that have a, a large voice. You, I've seen your company for the last couple of days now. The dynamic relationships you have with your people it's un unbelievable and they know that they have your unconditional support right mm -hmm. it's just important to, to to demonstrate that and when you instill that into people and give people endorsement and and empower your people to be themselves and to make decisions yeah they become less vulnerable yeah and how that's do you keep the the bad so everyone wants to go to the firehouse in your business of course like you want them to come in teach those lessons to your people how do you keep the bad, and maybe not the things that you did bad, but the calls that went bad, or the neg like the fire service has both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. How do you keep that from impacting you in your business, or how did your dad keep that from impacting you in his business after like you run a particularly shitty call, and then you're back, and it's like okay, now my team's looking at me. How do you support that? So I, you know, that's that's a good one. I we're not talkers. We're not like I'm not. I, I just you know like I bottle up most stuff inside. 
I will tell you through National Fire Radio, I am incredibly grateful for the guests that we have on. I talk about thank you for trusting us with their story. We've talked to a lot of mental health people that are out there. Hmm. Um, not too long ago, I went through some crazy shit in my life, you know, just outside of the firehouse and stuff that I, well, for the first time in 45 years, was like, hey, man, you want to talk for, can, I, can we talk for a second? Like, I need to bounce this off you. Like, I hmm. had some stuff that I was like, man, I just, you know, like, man, I, I don't know if I could tackle this one alone. Like, maybe I should, like, look. It's a <laughs> yeah. hard conversation. I think mental yeah. health is, um, it's becoming the everyday conversation. Mm. Uh, but we have so far to go with it. And we have so much more to do for it to protect our own. Yeah. Well, especially Growing- managing, compl- I mean, you're not managing, like, you know, something simple. You're managing a national brand that's got eyes everywhere. You can't say the wrong thing once or else you're done. You know, the cancel culture, managing a business, complexities of family transitions from ownership to working for someone. You're managing the firehouse and all the complexities that are there. I feel like... Thanks for piling this on. I'm, well, that's I didn't I'm, realize like, I mean, how I'm shit like, I have in my life. No, so I watched a really interesting... Uh, I can't what it was. Guy on stage talking about this, like a backpack full of bricks. And right. so like you're carrying all these bricks around. And like... Who helps you carry those bricks? Do you ever take them out and lay them on the table and let others help you carry the weight of all of those things that you work on? Yes. No. <laughs> I it, that's dude, that's a that's a hard one. Um have I recently started opening up more and and being more honest with myself and people around me? Yes. Accountability is very important to me. Mm-hmm. Self-accountability. Right. If I take on all these projects and all these things, then it's on me. I'm choosing to do that. What I don't like is when people place blame elsewhere when the blame should be back solely on them. I hate excuses. Mm. I hate people when you talk to them. It's always something like, oh, this or oh, that or oh, this. No, just own it. Like, just (laughs) own it. Like, you're not pulling your weight or you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing or you didn't do what I asked you to do. But a lot of times for me, it was like, okay, is the conflict worth it? Is trying to correct the the issue worth it? Or do we just move on because I'm just going to handle it? Yeah. I used to just handle it. I yeah. would let you know you were wrong, but then I'm like, <laughs> I'll just freaking do it, man. Because yeah. I don't have the time or the patience to wait. What I've come to realize in life is we need to start holding people accountable. What people don't do well is holding mm. themselves accountable. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough thing. Even in our society, not just like in my world, but just in society in general, I think accountability is one of the most important things, and I think most people lack it. Yeah. People How don't does... like to look in the mirror. They don't like to admit that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, or it's just easier to point the blame and deflect it somewhere else instead of owning up to it. And I think ownership is the most important thing. And when I look at that and you talk about my father and my upbringing, my father owned his shit, man. Yeah. He owned every single thing. And I don't know, probably a fraction of his stories, yeah. but he owned every single one of them. So if he was carrying the weight of something crazy, he'd come back and have a shit day. He'd be like, hey, yeah, I had a shit day. Move yeah, on. but you know what he would do? He'd come home and kiss me goodnight Yeah, because he was also a father, and he also had that responsibility too. And so you know, those are the, those are the things that I'm so proud of. I have learned as I've gotten a little bit older, especially in the last year or so, I have learned to take maybe a brick out every once in a while. Yeah. Pass it around. But then I think I put it back in the bag. Interesting. I don't know. As we scale National Fire Radio, as we scaled my personal business before we sold it, you the only way, and I've learned this, the only way you're going to scale at a rapid pace, mm. right, is trusting your people and putting a team together that support your mission. Yeah. I am doing that more and more now. That has become a... 
struggle for me that I've come to realize that like I'm an 80 percenter, right? We talked about this the other day. <laughs> yeah. I'm an 80 percenter. I'm a creative. I'm an idea guy. I'm a I'm a spokesman. I'm a, you know, get out there and boost people up type of guy. Yeah. But man, I need help on the execution. So my wife calls me an 80 percenter. Like I'll I want to redo the bedroom. I'm going to put paint new carpet in. I'll paint a new carpet, but then I never get to the new blinds, right? Yeah. I never do, like, that's that 20% that sits idle and my wife gets crazy. I'm the same way in business. I'm the same way in NFR. Like, I envision it, I go do it, yeah. and then the execution, the last 20%, I need people to pick up my slack because yeah. I suck at that. It sounds like you're kind of in this transformational I stage, am. like, where I it's am. like, all right, we're going, man, you, you were the family business, you had to own this thing and run it. Now, you're working in that family business, now you're dedicating some more time because you have more time, you're not having to put... 20 hour days in national fire radio is on the right. I mean, you're like, you guys have this amazing audience. There's so much I'm excited to hear about with what you want to do with the business community, man. Yeah. It's all about community. Like don't lose track of that. You know, everybody, and this goes for businesses. This goes for social media platforms. This goes for anyone out there. It's all about your community, man. Yeah. You got to provide value to your community. You got to make your people believe in you. Your brand has to represent the very best of who they are, not who I am. Yeah. This isn't about me as much as, <laughs> And you're the same way. You're a huge personality like I am. We take over a room when we walk in. Yeah. But that's not because it's about me. Yeah. People lose track of that. People think like, oh, Jeremy, he's got a big mouth. Like he comes in here, he thinks he owns the freaking place, like all the shit. Yeah, maybe I do a little bit. But I come in because I feel like I shake everybody's hand. I ask you how you are. Tell me about who you are. Like I yeah. listen more than I talk, even though people think I talk more than I listen. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Interesting. Yes, give me some of your kind of – Early day momentum. Yeah. What so, happened? How'd you start? You know, it was really cool. What was really cool was the day we got a phone call and they're like, hey, this major manufacturer wants you to come visit their factory. And I was like, what? We're like, we're like a year in, right? We're just doing like Instagram videos on <laughs> fire trucks, right? Yeah. And they're like, they want you to come tour the factory. They'd love to have you there. And I'm like, whoa. Like, we sat back and I was like, wait a minute, man. This is like a like a billion dollar company wants us to come like hang out and, and tour their facility and show us that's like cool. what they do. Yeah. That was, that was a moment for me. Um, what was it like when you it, got there? It was cool, man. Like it was really our names on the wall. Like you walk in like, and I had been there before building fire trucks and doing stuff and, uh, and so on. But you know, so like I'm, I've seen that before and I've been there, but this was like VIP stuff, man. And then we like walked around we shot content for like three days and then um, and then from there and let me tell you about that. Like what I love and I, I do it here, I love engaging everybody that works there. Yeah. Like I wanna like talk to the president of the company is great. I wanna talk to the girl in or the woman in the paint booth that's painting the frames every single day. Yeah. She has a story to share. Yeah. You know, she her story is probably more important than the president, <laughs> uh, truthfully. Yeah. Right? Because this is a blue-collar, hardworking person that's there that takes pride in painting those fire trucks for firefighters. Yeah. Like, that story is priceless, and their story deserves to be told. So, like, when we go places, that's how important it is for me. It's like sharing those stories. We're the storytellers. We're capturing people's stories, lives, and sharing that. We better do it right. So yeah, that was a that was a big uh, that was a big deal for us. And then from there, we got asked to uh, a couple other manufacturers and toured their facilities and shot content. Then um, from there, it started snowballing. Like I started doing um, you know emceeing events, emceeing conferences. I we host roundtables. We have our on tap series where we rent out bars, bring a speaker in. We do a brotherhood event. 
bagpipes, beers, and and fire stories. Um, we've oh my god! I think one of the one of the most proud moments we were able to do was um, they had a line of duty death in Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, and we were scheduled to do it on tap at a bar up there the week afterwards before it happened. Oh wow! We were able to. I was doing a roundtable with four incredible speakers. Um, and we were able to pivot and turn that into a fundraiser um, for Jason Menard, who was killed in the line of duty. Uh, he was a boss who pushed his probie down the stairs, and he died. Saved his probie's life, and, and then he was killed in the fire. Holy cow. And this happened a week before, so they just had the funeral and everything, and then we were having our on tap, and we were talking about canceling it, and, and the guys that were on the, the panel uh, said, no, let's turn this into like a fundraiser. And so these guys – and myself and my team were able to put together. I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about this. We were able to put together an uh, incredible giveaway. We had uh, over 100, 200 prizes in a silent auction, and then we live auctioned stuff off too. We raised $17,000 that night for his family. No way. Yeah. We raised more money than the Dropkick Murphys. The Dropkick Murphys came to town, and they gave a part of their proceeds as a fundraiser to the family. And we raised yeah, more money than the dropkick Murphy's, that's awesome. man. That was yeah. freaking cool. That's the way But that, it. yeah. it's moments like that because that's what this industry is all about. That's what this business is about, man. It's about taking care of our own. And we pivoted uh, with incredible guests, and we were able to put together a hell of a night that had a couple hundred people there. And it just turned into a uh, really proud moment for me and what our platform stands for and who we are. Uh, and I was very proud of that moment. Um, and, uh, and we've had other projects that are similar um, and been a part of many different types of groups, fundraising or organizations or uh, and so on. It's just like it's those moments to me that makes me sit back. And I mentioned this to you yesterday, like I do every once in a while sit back and just think about the stories and cherish what we've been able to do. And I'm very proud of what we've built, very proud of the guys um, that have trusted me with the process. And I can't say that it hasn't been flawed along the way. We've had issues and there's ups and downs and peaks and valleys on everything. But I think overall, the main mission of what we've built, um, we're only getting stronger and better. And it's because we're doing it right. We're doing, we're always doing it for the right reasons. And, uh, and as long as we keep that value proposition in order, 5149, we're okay. Jeremy, I'm curious, when you think about this kind of endeavor, this national fire radio thing you're going to start, you got Terry's support, you're ready to kick it off, but like, what kind of, what was driving that? What was unique or different about this as something in your life versus what you've been doing forever? It was my own project. It was mm. my own vision. You know, I hopped in the family business, I, it, I piggybacked onto the hard work of my father mm. and what he had laid forth, and then I just took it and pushed it forward. Yeah. But the foundation was there. This was something that I could build on my own. This was my creative uh, yeah from inception and go it was my idea my vision my creative my blood sweat and tears i own it and i own it all you know <laughs> and i take responsibility for it all too what um, did it feel like i mean when you think of that as you're like this is now my thing i'm flying solo how do you how do you feel when that happens uh it, it it's great and scary all in the same breath right it's like it's like anything when you hop into something like i don't do anything i, I talked about being an 80 percenter but I still do everything 100%. You know what I mean? Like, when I'm in it, I'm in it. And yeah. it's all of me. And it consumes me. Yeah. So it's like my life literally circles around National Fire Radio now. Yeah. Even though and it's only it, a small part of your life, yeah? 100%, right? Yeah. I mean, I have all these other priorities in my world, too, right? The job that actually pays my bills, and I enjoy that still. And I have a fa you know, beautiful family, wife, kids, like, that fine balance, the firehouse. Like, all these things that I have to balance – 
But National Fire Radio, it's consuming for me because it's mine. Yeah. And so, like, at night, I'm on my phone. On weekends, I'm on my phone. Now, there are times I turn it off to deal with, to, to be with family or my job or whatever. But, like, it, it is, it's consumed me. Is it the same? Like, is Jeremy National Fire Radio phone the same as your phone you carry for work, same as you carry for family? Like, is it all one yeah, thing? it is. Really? Because it's my life. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know how people can, like, compartmentalize life. Like, I can't, man. Yeah. Because it bleeds over. Like, today, we're here in your studio at your business, and I brought my wife and kids with me <laughs> Great. to Lovely share family. in the experience. Yeah. But they also got the benefits of being here today and seeing what this is all about. Like, I want my kids to grow up and understand that. All these trips and all this time spent away from them mm. is for their benefit and value. Like, like a worthy I'm, investment. Absolutely. I want them yeah. to see it. But I also want them to be a part of it. And frankly, I want them to be proud of me. Yeah. You know, like there's that balance. And my kids are amazing. You've gotten to know them. And so yeah. my wife is incredible. Like they support me unconditionally. And and so for that, I have to do everything in my power to make sure that I'm doing my part then. If they're supporting me, yeah. then I need to do everything on my end to support them. Yeah. So when you started it, I mean, this is this is your first initiative. It's your first, like, this is the Jeremy Show, or what you know, call it whatever you want to call it, but it's the Jeremy Show, right? It's your first thing. Yeah. How, how do you go from, my wife's giving me the blessing, I've got the time to devote to it. What's the first step? Man, I had no idea, right? So I was like, all right, uh, let's do a podcast, right? That was the intent, right? Let's share the stories between young and old and capture them and put them out there for people to listen to, right? Like all of that. I had not the foggiest, man. I was like, okay, I want to do this. So let me start an Instagram and Facebook page. That's the easiest way to do had it. Had you been right? on those platforms before? I did. So I so before I rolled out National Fire Radio, I did a um, like beta testing with my bearing company. And oh, I really? started an Instagram for my Baron company, and uh, and that did pretty well, like right out of the gate. Yeah. So I started navigating that and putting time into that, and then realizing, like, okay, there's 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 a method here. You learn yeah. the process. So I was in the trenches for the, with the Baron company for about a year on Instagram, like playing with things. Yeah. And then I I put it all together. Like I had that aha moment where I was like, it's time to do this for me. Yeah. And it's time to roll out my own project. And I want to do it on a passion. And literally nobody's passionate about bearings. And so <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, I, I love the firehouse. I love going to fires. I love the camaraderie. I love the brotherhood. And I'm like, you know what's missing? All of that. Yeah. Like, how did you come up with the name? How was it National Fire Radio? I, mean, I feel like that's one of the things you get hung I up on. I was talking to Rob about it when we first started. We were like playing with names, and I was like, radio. Like, I want to be like, radio. Radio's cool because it's like radio. Like, guys talk on the radio. Oh, yeah. Like, so it's like that aspect of it. And then it was like, I want it to sound important. So national. Like, it's yeah, not just like, like I wanted, I wanted it. And, and I'm, I keep, I always say in my content, I talk about the American Fire Service. Hmm. And it's because literally we're super unique in the world of firefighting Completely. on the world stage. Yeah, absolutely. Like the United States of America firefighting is truly steeped in tradition and culture and the bricks that were laid before us and the foundation of it. And we're not modern. Like we're modernizing, yeah. but we're so far behind yeah, in like the world like trend. And, yeah. Right. Right. So like I was like, oh, national. Like I love and that's what I know. So I'm like, I don't want this to be like some broad platform that like represents fire, fire i'm yeah. all about firefighting i like firefighters get the hell out of here like i love like getting your ass kicked stretching a line going to fires yeah, and which then they I, only do in in the u.s right I, it's like, I, they, mean, I mean they do I but not the same right not to listen we have a lot of fans and followers <laughs> from other countries what i'm saying but you know what's really interesting there are other countries 
in like South America that use our Americanized equipment. That's true, yeah. And they and they accept and take on our our kind of values, our ways of operating and tactics, which is so cool. That is really nothing cool. like seeing like hearing like a fire engine race down a road in Chile with a Q two B guy. Oh yeah, right? no, oh, it's yeah. so it's very cool. That's but anyway, awesome. so the whole point of the name was I wanted it to sound big. Like out of the gate, I know one thing: mm. you want to tackle the world. Look at it on a big scale. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, I'm gonna be I wanna be a national platform. You don't wanna, I wanna be like be, New Jersey Fireman Club. You wanna be I wanna be the platform everybody knows. When I grew up, I read that fire engineering magazine and everybody knew fire engineering. They were the yeah. game in town. I wanna be them times ten now. So I'm like, I gotta take this big. I yeah. wanna be the big player. I wanna be the name everybody knows. I wanna take it national. And then Rob and I were chatting about it, and he's like, Nash Fire. And it just came out. Like, That's we awesome. just kind of figured it out. And I was like, man, I love the sound of that. NFR, yeah. like National Fire Radio, like yeah. all this. And and what that does is that's now, four and a half years later, that is the umbrella of everything that we do. Because yeah. we do more than a podcast. We do apparatus innovation. We do regular scheduled programming. We have new shows that are coming out um, that we can jump into a little bit. Uh, we we do so a lot of uh, work that we do nobody even sees. Yeah. We do a lot of behind the scenes creative work for manufacturers. We help yeah. their marketing teams understand how to relate and talk with the backstep firefighter because at the end of the day, you're selling to firefighters. You better have people in your marketing departments that know how to sell to them, how to yeah. talk their language, how to advertise and put your money and get the best return on your dollar spent in in the marketing and ad space by relating to the end user. Yeah. What was your we, first win? Like, what was your first, like, okay, I've got someone on the hook. They're ready to tell me their story. What, what, major, a major, well, on the podcast or, like, manufacturer side? Like, Once you, uh, thanks for holding my hand. Yeah, down. I love oh. that. <laughs> Once you got going kind of in, uh, in the national, so I've got the name. Yep. I've got the Instagram. i got yep. the Facebook. Yep. Next. So we go, I go to my in-laws and I go, hey, you got a, like, a garage that you're not using? Like, can I use it? And we built out a studio. Oh, really? With plywood walls with faux brick on them. No way. Oh, yeah. If you look at the first couple episodes, or first couple, probably the first 20, 30 episodes were filmed in there, and we were doing two episodes a night. Oh, really? So we would, <laughs> man. So we build out this set, my in-law and my father-in-law and mother-in-law's garage, right? And we build it out. There's no bathroom in a place. So everybody, and we're crushing <laughs> beers every episode. So like, oh, yeah, having a good you time. You know you got to go outside and use a bush, oh, you yeah. know? So it was just hilarious. And it was like that, that's what I love. Like the storytelling of like how we started and like how it went. And very early on, like it just started clicking. And we started, I just started throwing invites out to people. And at first it was guys that I knew that I respected. Yeah. That were on the job by me or volunteered locally that I knew had a couple great stories to share. Yeah. And we literally sat around a table and just laughed and bullshitted and had fun. <laughs> and and it, and that's what it was about. And it was very like grassroots. It was very um elementary if you will yeah and it was the probably some of the best stuff we ever did that's awesome so how the story change when you first started in that space how did your story shift from like your first episode to like your growing like obviously your first episode is not gonna be as good as your 10th episode yeah for sure and you know we started realizing quickly and i think you know the value proposition what i talk about is when we started doing this I was doing it for the laughter and the fun of it. And yeah. like, so it was more the, comedic than serious. Then, well, no, it was serious, but it was like doing it just for the, the experience we talk about. Right. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, that was fun, man. What a great night. That was cool. Uh, yeah. got to tell some stories. And then all of a sudden you start realizing like people are starting to pay attention and people are watching. So there's something we're doing that's capturing, capturing their attention. And so then all of a sudden it starts to get serious Yeah. because it's like, wait a minute, like, 
these people actually give a shit about what we're doing? Yeah, now it's like, like, oh my God, now I have the opportunity. I can actually make this successful. I can make an impact. And not only that, but all of a sudden you realize like, uh uh-oh, people are actually paying attention. So now we better make sure that we start delivering upon what we say we want to deliver. And so then as the guests move along... You know, we got a little more serious. We dialed back. We didn't do a six-pack each episode. We did two beers every episode. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, And we started reining it into a platform that I, I am very proud of today. We had three different studio spaces over the last four years. We're building out a new one right now, which is very exciting. It's going to be similar to this look of, of high-end yeah. um, type stuff. And, uh, and I'm very proud of that. And I'm proud of where we're going to go. But I think what's fun about this, to bring it back around is four and a half years in, we've interviewed some incredible people, some of the biggest names in the industry, and I'm very proud of that, and I call them friends, and we've gotten to know each other. But I want to get back to these no-name guys that have incredible stories to share, because that's our roots, man. Yeah. Like, And I don't mean no-name in a bad way at all. I mean people, everybody has a story to share. Yeah, just your everyday firefighter versus yeah. like someone that made their life Because the, all the, the all the guys that teach on the national circuits, they're awesome. I could call them right now and be like, hey, I'd love to have you on the show. What would it take to get you here? Like, how can we do this? I could do that, but... There's other podcasts out there. There's other incredible platforms that I respect and they're friends. And I'm like, guys, you guys are killing it. Keep doing what you do. Yeah. And then I'm looking at it like, man, 95% of the American fire service doesn't go to fires in urban cities. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. these are these are like suburban and rural firefighters that want to hear from people that share the same stories that they're dealing with or or experiences. And so I want to get back to that. So we're gonna when we, when the studio opens back up. There's literally going to be a push just to keep doing interviews. And if I could do like one a day, I will. Like yeah. if I could. Yeah, and yeah. I just want to interview everybody and anyone I can because that's where we get the meat, man. That's, that's the good stories. That's the fun stuff. So I'm going to get back to our roots that's awesome. and really go after it. Was there a pivotal time in your early days, like when you were in the brick wall building that felt like that you knew the transition was occurring from like, Baby business idea, play toy to real thing? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you an example. So um, Bobby Eckert, I don't know if you're familiar with Bobby Eckert. He, Eckert Fire Tactics. Bobby was one of our guests early on, and he was probably one of the bigger names that we we had in early on. And this was in my in-law's garage. And um, he and I have become very good friends um, and have done a lot of projects together and so on. But he was coming up through the social media chain at the same time. Mm. He's probably one of the first guys to get himself to a national level because of his exposure and hard work on social media to get his message out there. We had Bobby in the studio, um, and he came up, and he was like, yeah, man, I'd love to do it. He came up, and he told us his story. And I'll tell you, man, it went from absolute tears from laughter to tears of sadness throughout his interview, and it was a very powerful interview. But what what came from that interview is at the end, we sat around BSing about just the fire service and our our inspirations and what has pushed us to get where we are, what fuels his passion, what fuels ours. And I remember that interaction very much. And he brought um, he brought like a photo. He he loves where he works and he's very proud of the city he works for. And he brought like a uh, a black and white photo of a big fire from his city and he framed it and he signed the back of it and said good luck to the NFR and oh, that's and cool. so on. It's very cool and it hangs on the wall like at my house right now in my home studio and I'm, it's going to get in the the new studio. But my point of that was, is he saw value in what we brought very early on, and he trusted us as new guys on the block to share his story. And that, to me, was when we sat down and bullshitted at the end of that episode, and we were just chatting like we do off camera. Yeah. It was a moment that I had that when I drove home that night, I'm like, this guy just made me realize, like, we're we're scratching the surface here of something much bigger than who we are. Like, yeah. we're the stewards almost of the storytelling. 
Yeah. And that's important to me. And to be able to protect that and to be able to know and understand that and respect it is important. Yeah. And so his interview was pivotal for us to really understand the value of it. Um, we've had incredible interviews with, um, you know, local volunteer fire chiefs that had some incredible stories to share. I interviewed some of my uh, good friends and, and learned some stories about them along the way um, and so on. And then we've interviewed some of the biggest names and, and they have stories to share too. I think what's important though is, you know, people want to hear the storytelling and they want to hear about the individual in, a, in an interview that stays away from the nonsense and the BS. They want, yeah. they want it lighthearted and they want grit. Like real they authentic. Want, they want happiness. They want yeah. sadness. Like it's that ride. And so for me, what, what was really challenging was I never did interviews. Before. Yeah. How did you pull right. that out? Like when you're like, right. I don't know how to interview someone. What's right, your right, process right. for learning? Yeah. Well, what are you doing? Right. Like yeah, you, trying it. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so I, I just dove in. I'm a salesman. I'm, I, 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 I'll talk to anybody. I'll engage anyone. Yeah. What, what I find that works very well for us and what we do is if you watch any of my videos, I always throw softballs to people and I always set them up to be able to knock it out of the park. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm the guy, you know, talked about like being a guy that walks in a room and takes over the room. Yeah, that might be me, but man, I'm there to set everyone up. I'm the setter, yeah. not the spiker. Yeah. Like I like to, I like to set the volleyball and then let the spiker hammer Just it home. It. Yeah. So let me set, I'll set you up. Yeah. You know, and, and that's important to me because that's how you build trust and, and relationships and friendships is by people understanding that you're there for them. Yeah. And so it's that value proposition. What was some early feedback that people gave you? Like, is your first kicking it off? Your what sound you? sucks. You guys, really? You guys are amateurs. You guys are, what are you trying to do? What'd that feel like? You know, Jeremy's a big mouth, like all this stuff. Truly. Really? Yeah. And, and yeah. how did you take that on? So, you know, it's, it's that internal struggle right like it's especially not, being the first thing has been your thing right yeah well that and the fact that i'm putting myself out there 100 percent in front of an audience that will cut you down so fast yeah the firehouse man you screw up in the firehouse what do they do they rip on you and you can't shake that for six months to a year and three years later they'll still bring it up oh yeah so i decided very early on if i was going to do this authenticity is everything and, uh, and I have to put myself out there. And when you put yourself out there, you paint a big target on yourself. Yeah. And very early on, I mean, here we are four and a half years later. I still have hate pages that are dedicated to me. Really? We have hate pages on social media that, that target me specifically really? and our type of content. What's been the hardest piece of feedback you've had to receive? Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, hardest? Maybe not hardest, but what is, what is a category of hard feedback? What makes it? I know when people comment on our stuff and they say, you know, they talk about me personally. It's different than when you talk about like tech. Because if I don't like the way you build a fire truck, but it still does the job, who cares? Yeah. But I, what is it for you? Right. That well, so I know what it's done for me. Um, it's it what it what it's done. For, I want to I want to just stew on that for a minute. So I know what it's done for me, and and this uh, platform that we created has taught me tolerance. I used to listen, man. I, when I was young, I had an opinion about everything, and I made you know about it. Yeah. Nowadays, I reserve a lot of my opinions until I'm ready to tell you or till you're ready to hear it. Um, I think that there's so much of that gets lost. Everybody thinks that their opinion matters when, in fact, nobody's opinion matters but your own. Yeah. Right? Like, when I look at my own stuff, it is truly me holding myself accountable for the material I put out. I don't give a shit if you like it or not. If you don't like it, you get to move on. And if you take time to tear me down, if you take time to put a hate page together, and then you take time out of your personal life to, like tear me down i feel sorry for you man 
Do your like, wife and kids see these pages? They oh, yeah. They it? laugh, man. We Oh, really? my God. We do, like... Uh, so as we're, like, working on our TikTok and stuff, like, TikTok's just, like, a free-for-all, right? Dude, it's we, crazy. Oh, yeah. I know. We So on social, like, with um, Instagram is pretty good. We don't get that many uh, nasty comments. Yeah. But again, remember, I scrub my data to make sure that I'm not putting out stuff that people can literally go after unless, yeah. unless they're complete jerks, you know? Yeah. And then... But uh, Facebook's pretty interesting because everybody has an opinion on Facebook. Yep. And so, like, and people think their opinion matters. They're like, oh, there's so much wasted space. And I'm like, I scratch my, I did a, I did a, a quick, like, 90-second segment on wasted space. And I go, who's to say it's wasted space? If they don't have anything else to put in that compartment, who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. Like, who are you to say that they wasted the space on the apparatus design when, for them, it's not wasted space? It works. They like, carry 100% of the tools. That's 100% right. of the tools. Right. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's, it's subjective. And people think that subject, their subjectiveness, their opinion matters. And it doesn't. But everybody feels that they can share that. And so people get bent. What, I've, what I had to do very early on is I had to understand that there are people out there inherently that just want to go after you. They just yeah. want to have their own opinions heard or stir the pot, and that's fine. When they come after the brand, that's fine. When they come after me, that's fine. I've learned to develop very thick skin. However, if you push me to a point, I will explode. <laughs> I will, and, and I don't yeah. care because here's the thing. I have nothing to hide. Yeah. I put myself out on every podcast, every piece of content. I own it. I sign my name to it, and I move on. If you don't like it and you want to come after me, that's fine. But here's the thing. Those people that do that shit on social media yeah. hide. They they're, do. They're they do. cowards. Yeah. And I challenge those cowards all the time. I go, I'm right here, guys. Bring it. Yeah, they got an account with one did, like and one criticism. Bro, go back like, and look on. at a video I did a couple weeks ago. I exploded on it. <laughs> I had friends reach out to me and go, are you okay? No way. I totally vented. I called them cowards. I said, guys, I'm right here. Yeah. You know where to find me. DM me. Call me. Here's my phone number. I don't care. You know where to find me. Come get me. Yeah. And you know how many did? None. Yeah. They're cowards. And that is the <laughs> biggest problem, not just in the fire service, but in society today. And we need to get rid of that shit. Yeah. Plain and simple. What I have to do is be very careful with what we do and how we do it. But at the end of the day, thank you. If you don't like me, you can move on. Like, I don't understand. People that don't like me still follow my stuff. They still want to devour what I'm doing. Are you, what kind of loser are you? <laughs> like, you spend your own personal time reviewing content of somebody you don't like, <laughs> and then you take more time out of your day to leave a nasty comment? You're yeah. a blue. I feel sorry for those people. Because they really obviously funny. have yeah. nothing else going on in the world. Yeah. Truly. Yeah, and, like, and, and what are they going to do? Cut you down for doing something that you're trying to do well? Right. I mean, come on. They're like, oh, look at this guy. Have another sandwich. I'm like, I might. I'm hungry. Like, I'm a big guy. Like, what <laughs> Okay, good one. Fat joke. Like, is that all you got? Yeah. Like, come on, man. That, that stuff is so elementary, and it's, it's so grade school to me that, like, I just feel sorry for those people. And, frankly, like, it's always going to exist, and I don't care. Like, I'll take yeah. pity on you. Yeah. But I, I welcome, like, if you have a challenge, I'm, right, I'm the type of guy. Listen, Sam. You got a problem with me? Let's talk about it. Yeah. You want to go outside and slug it out for 10 minutes? That's fine, too. Like, I'm, I'd rather get it done with than yeah. play that game. I don't have time in my life with NFR, my job, my family, and everything else. I don't have time to play games. Yeah. Did it's, your stress go up as you started NFR, or was it something that would let, let you be an outlet? No, it's uh, – I pour everything into it. Mm. Um, stress, yes, only to the balancing of um, trying to do what's right all the time. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we make mistakes along the way. We, you, you do in business and, and in, in, uh, in pleasure. You're like, you always make a mistake here or there, and you got to learn from that. That's the most important thing. You and I were talking about that the other day. Can you think you of know? any that were like, what that you knew? Oh, that was definitely a, a zig when I should have zagged in the early days. 
Um, yeah, you know, there, I think we missed on some opportunities because, and, you know, timidness. Like, you know, that's hard for me to talk about, and I'll tell you why. I'm not a timid individual by any means. <laughs> I say that's right. my word that describes you in but, my head anyway. But when I, I find that there's times that I should do better or I, I hold myself to a higher standard than most, mm. um, I've learned that you can't hold people to the same standard you have for yourself because you'll often be let down. Right. So like I have this I have this standard for myself that I feel that I should be operating at this level and I should be there all the time. When in fact, you can never maintain that level. Like there's going to be dips and, you know, peaks and valleys. Right. But I get let down. I used to get let down a lot by people because I would hold them to the same expectation I have for myself. And then understanding that they don't have the same buy in as me. So why would they have the same? Expect? I can't. It's not fair. Mm. So I often was let down by a lot of people. And then. I, I've come to realize through maturity that like you can't hold people to the same standard you have for yourself only because your buy-in is different than their buy-in. And so it's just, it, it's never apples to apples. That buy-in is also on my end too. Like what I find was there are times that I find sometimes I, I back down and, and go slower than maybe I should. Or I analyze things a little bit more because maybe I carry that weight of all those guys trusting me or the community that believes in our message and who we are. Yeah, I carry that every single day. Yeah. And I think, I don't, I don't know if there's a specific time where it was like, man, I should have done this and I didn't. Because typically I follow my gut and mm. typically I'm dialed in with like what the right decision is normally. Um, but I'm much more analytical now today than I used to be. I used to just go. Now today I'm a little more analytical, a little more um, savvy when it comes to execution. Yeah. And so I'm a little more careful, um, mm. which I think is good. But I also think at times you got to let yourself fly a little bit too. And sometimes I, I find myself being a little more conservative and reserve than I used to be. Yeah. I kind of want to get reckless and loose a little bit again because I think that's what put us on the map and got us to where we are. And I don't want to lose track of that as we grow. And as this thing scales, I don't want it to all of a sudden become this huge burden of responsibility versus having fun and, and, and going after it. Yeah. So there's a balance there. I think you know that. Yeah. Why don't you just give up or why haven't you given up? I haven't needed to. I love it. Now, so, <laughs> it's like the pregnant pause. Yeah, I'm like yeah. waiting for. Like, I love the uncomfortable <laughs> pause. No, the whole point, like giving up. I don't think I've ever given up on anything in my life. I have never given up on anything. I, I don't think I have it in me to walk away from something. But this is such a passion project for me. Like this isn't just like a. I didn't just start a business and I'm selling tacos and it's just tacos. And if it wasn't tacos, it'd be yo-yos. Like this yeah. is something that like I sign my name to on every level of it, whether it's an Instagram post, a podcast, uh, a, a marketing piece, uh, you know, a creative content piece for a manufacturer. My name's on the bottom of it. I sign my signature and, and the signature is the style, the way it's written, the production value, or it could be my face actually talking and selling it. I own every single piece of content I put out. I don't hide in the shadows. And so I could never walk away from that because it's who I am and it's what we're building. And, you know, the crew behind me, they sign their name to it too. And, and I carry that burden every single day. Every piece of content I put out represents me, which then represents my family, my fire department, my life, my guys that believe in me at National Fire Radio. So like, I carry that burden on every single thing I do. There are a hundred people behind me that know I could bring a world of shit down if I don't do it right. Yeah. And so I can't give up. 
Yeah. I can't. It's it's just in me. It's embedded in me to just do this. And and I think I'm only scratching the surface, man. Like I'm literally only getting going. What's gonna happen next? Or what's the vision for Fire Department Radio? So yeah, I National mean we, Yeah, that's okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah. call me whatever you want. I've answered the worst. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, like, um, there's a lot of like big scale plans of where I think we can take this. What I do believe very um very soon in the future, if not already is the goal is to make us a household name within the American Fire Service. I want to be a recognized name and brand within the industry that is respected. For me, everything about the fire service is he's a good fireman. The guy's a good fireman. That that sums up everything. Because if somebody vouches for a guy and says he's a good fireman, and I say fireman, fire, you know, firefighter, woman, man, it doesn't matter, whatever. He's a good fireman. Like, when somebody says he's a good fireman, that sums up everything. One, he's good on the fire ground. Two, he's good people. Three, he's trusted. Four, he's vetted. Five, he's a good family man. Six, you know, it's the guy I'll call if I need help. Seven, if I'm in jail, I want him next to me. Eight, if I need bail, he's coming. Like, he's a good fireman. A good fireman is not a term that's thrown around easily, man. No way. And so, for me, I just want to be known as, like, uh, a good fireman. I want to be known as... A good platform. I want to be known as a trusted platform that believes in the in what we talk about in our community and that we represent our community correctly. Um, that's all I need, and everything else that comes with it um, is just the gravy. It's the sauce, and uh, and I'm very fortunate for what we've been able to build. I'm very fortunate to be here as one of your first podcasts. Like, you know, it's funny. I every once in a while I pinch myself and I go, "That's pretty funny." Like they wanted me to do this, or I was asked to go there, or they want me there. And I'm like, why? Like, you know, and then I pinch myself and I said, because it's your hard work, man. Like, come on, you know, like pick yourself up. Let's go. Like, it's okay to be humble, but it's also okay to understand like hard work deserves recognition. You know, as a manager, I always, I try to recognize my people all the time. Like, great job. I appreciate what you did. Thanks for going the extra mile. Like those are important things. And so you got to be able to do that for yourself too. Um, And I, I think that's important. So I'm very proud of what we built. And I think the longevity of national fire radio is here to stay. I think we're on the path on scalability-wise. We have some incredible stuff coming out the second half of this year, leading into next year, and everything and anything is on the table, and we have a pretty clear plan. And I'm actually in the the planning stages now of doing like a 5, 10, and 15-year build-out because I want to put it in writing so that everybody has the expectations of where I want to go with this on my crew. Yeah. And then also I can hold myself to those standards so when we meet it or beat it or we go outside of it, it's there so we can hold ourselves accountable. I talk about accountability, and that's huge. Yeah. And so I want to be able to do that. So I'm actually in the process of doing that right now, um, and that will be fun to see where I think we can take this. But I think um, it's a long game for me, and uh, I think we're just scratching the surface, and I think we have so much more to come. That's great. Well, where can our viewers find more information about you and learn about National Fire Radio? Yeah, so we're just uh, we're all over. Social media, obviously, is a social media podcast platform, so – uh, we're on all the players for the podcast. We're on YouTube and then obviously, you know, Facebook, Instagram and the TikTok and, and so TikTok. on, which we've been chatting about. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're we're across the board. National Fire Radio is here to stay. You'll find us on any, you know, multimedia platform. And, uh, you know, outside of the podcast and all the, you know, the social media content, we also run a creative firm on the back end. That's and we awesome. work with manufacturers and so on. So uh, it's fun and it's uh, it's an ever-growing and evolving business um and it's funny to call it a business because it was literally a hobby uh and then all of a sudden i had to grow up and realize no this is a business well i think you're doing a great job thank you brother and, uh, i really appreciate you being on the show thank you jeremy from national fire radio i'm sam from the 2448 we'll see you guys next time thanks brother